Lord, now as we dig into your word, as we spend some time um, going through the Bible, help us to believe it. Help us to receive it. Help us to understand it. And Lord, help us to apply it to our lives. That we wouldn't only learn more about you, that we wouldn't only know more about you, but that we would come to know you more in every part of our lives. Lord, grow within us the fear of you, love for you, joy in you. Grow in us wisdom, Lord. Lord, I pray that anything I say that is not from you, you would help us to, to discard. But Lord, all that is said that is from you, God, help us to, to live it, to embrace it, and to savor it for your glory and our good. In Jesus' name, amen. Please be seated. Now, if you could turn in your Bibles to 1 Kings chapter 3, that's what I'll be preaching from today. And as you do, let me tell you that two weeks ago, I got in a car and drove off to Stowe, Vermont. I needed a week of introversion. I, some of you who know me find it hard to believe, but this extrovert decided to be an introvert for a week. So I drove off and uh, found this lodge in Stowe, Vermont, and I, I went there to just be alone. I hadn't realized until I was driving into the town of Stowe that this is the town of the Von Trapp family singers after they escaped from the Nazis and the true story of the sound of music. They crossed the ocean and came to Stowe, and that's where they set up not just their lodge, but this massive complex. That They have this incredible microbrewery, and they have international cross-country ski slopes where they have, or not slopes, I guess, but fields where people ski. It's not so much slopey when it's cross-country, but they have all sorts of stuff. It's huge. So I was taking tours of their property, got to meet some of the grandchildren of Maria Von Trapp. I went to a sing-along. It was a, it was a fantabulous time. Um, and uh, while I was there, I heard mention of a chapel. Uh, the, the true story is that one of the, one of the sons in the, the movie Sound of Music, but one of the real sons, he was fighting the Nazis in, in World War II, uh, shortly after the movie part of the story ends. And while he was under massive machine gun fire, he committed to God, God, if you will rescue me, I will build you a chapel at my family lodge. And that is what he did. He didn't die. He survived the, the gunshots, and he came back to Stowe, Vermont, and made his chapel. I wanted to find the chapel. So I went up for a hike, and I hiked and I hiked. I took some wrong turns. Eventually, I got there. And as I approached, before I even got to the chapel, I, I was just in awe of, of the beauty of, of where I was. It was magnificent. And then I came to a chapel so much smaller than I expected, this tiny little stone chapel. One of those places where you can just, you're so aware that there is more to the universe than just what we see. You feel like the presence of God. It's, just, it's, it's magnificently beautiful, and it's this, this, this rustic chapel. It looks like no one's been there for 150 years, which is surprising because the chapel's only 50 years old, I'm told. But it, was, it looked abandoned, and I opened the door, except I couldn't because it was locked. It seemed like no one had been there forever. So I went around to the side, and it's such an old-school chapel. There's no windows. It's just it's stone, and then there's these like, gaping holes where the windows would be. And so I kind of hoisted myself up, and I looked in, and I saw that there was this little box that looked like no one had been there for decades, and it said prayer requests. And so I thought, you know what, I'm a praying man. Someone needs to pray for these prayer requests. And so I opened up the box, and uh, while I was like, still kind of like halfway through the window, and, and read a whole bunch of the prayer requests. Here in this place where anyone who comes here feels so close to heaven, what do people ask prayer for? And as I read them, the prayer requests from some time ago were very similar to what you would expect if you found such a box of prayer requests written today. 
without giving any names away, not breaking any confidentiality. It was all prayer requests for things like, pray for Aunt Sue. She needs help with her kidneys. Pray for my cousin. He's sick. Uh, pray for my, my self to find a job. That, it was like that over and over. It was amazing how similar in all these different penmanships. Uh, sometimes they would sign what part of the world they'd come from because people come from all over the world. Whatever part of the world they were from, all the prayer requests were pretty much for the health of their family, their loved ones, or for financial provision, whether through a job or through some other means. It was pretty much for health and for uh, wealth. That's what they asked for. As a little kid, I remember discussing with my friends, if, if, the, if Aladdin's genie came to you and offered you three wishes, what would you ask for? I mean, the obvious answer is for more wishes, but that's usually against the rule. So what would you ask for? When the passage that Noah read to us from 1 Kings 3, Solomon, the king of Israel, is presented with that question. God, not just a genie, God says to him, ask for whatever you want, I will give it to you. What does Solomon say? Well, he doesn't ask for health or wealth. He asks something that God is so delighted in, it seems almost as if God is surprised. Of course, God isn't surprised because God knows all things, but, but God's response is one of, of such delight in Solomon's request. It's, it's awesome. And, and as, I was, as I was going through these requests, because I was preparing this message, I, I noticed that no one had asked for wisdom. And so as I was there in Stowe, Vermont, halfway through the chapel window, I, I stopped and I started thinking, is this something that I ask God for? Am I asking God for wisdom like Solomon did? And I thought back to, uh, for a year and a half, I led those, those Church of Messiah prayer meetings. At these prayer meetings, we pray for so many things. We pray for uh, international affairs and the, for the, the brokenness and parts of the world. And we also pray for this church that we love. And, and we pray for, as we hear about uh, various requests that people share with us, we pray for them. We often pray for the marriages of this church, that, that in, a, in a society where marriages are always crumbling, that God would make them strong. Um, we pray when we hear about people in the church who need to find jobs, we pray for them. Um, we pray sometimes, for whatever comes to mind, we'll pray for your devotions, that as you read the word day by day, that God would speak to you richly. We pray all manner of things for God's blessing on this church. We pray for courage. We pray that God would make us a, a church filled of, of missionaries, not just overseas, but in our neighborhoods. We pray for so many things. We pray for freedom from addictions, for everything. But how many times did we stop as a church, as a staff of the church? We, we pray weekly also as a staff, George and Shirley and myself and Joey, we, we pray for the church. How often do we stop and pray, plead with God? God, give the people of Church of Messiah, give us wisdom. It's not something we're praying for. You know, we see that this is something that when, when Solomon had the choice to ask for anything, he asked for wisdom. Now, what is wisdom? Well, to answer that question, I called up my father because throughout my life he was always telling me and my many siblings that we need to seek wisdom. And he always gave us a succinct definition. So if we can get that on the screen, Andrew... This is from Dad Gilman, my own father, Alan. Wisdom is a life skill where truth, goodness, and holiness are fittingly and effectively applied to specific, specific situations. I'll read that again. Wisdom is a life skill where truth, goodness, and holiness are fittingly and effectively applied to specific situations. This is my dad's wise attempt to try to bring down to just one sentence what is it that Solomon asked for? I mean, the word wisdom shows up in the scriptures time and time again, but, but what is it? And so from a biblical perspective, my dad's trying to find that wisdom is, is not simply knowledge, that you know so much about something, or uh, that you're a very intelligent person, that you have a great IQ. 
But wisdom is, is having that knowledge and that understanding to apply it to specific situations in light of who God is in reality. I mean, all of us know someone who has, or several people, and perhaps some of you in the congregation, maybe I'm like this, where we have such knowledge about something. We're just filled, like, like we're like an entire, I don't know, Wikipedia page article of knowledge about something, but we, but we actually just fail to like, live, live with wisdom. Um, or all of us know that person that they're, like, they're a genius in school. They, they ace every test. And you watch the way they live and you're like, what are you doing? Um, wisdom is something that we so often see the need for in someone else's life, but flatter ourselves thinking we have so much of it. Here's an example where you may have seen someone eating wisdom. You're going through the grocery store and you see some kids behaving so poorly. And you see that their parents are just are failing being parents. And you're just thinking, oh, if only they did this. Like, uh I don't have any kids, but like I, somehow when I see that, like also I become this expert on parenting. If only they can ask me for advice, I would tell them how to raise a child. I know you've thought those thoughts. Um, the same is true for those of us who love sports. You're watching TV, and you're seeing the coach make some decision, and you're just like, what is he doing? Like, come on. Even though the guy, that like, he's trained so much for this, he knows so much more about sports than you, but you are convinced that if only they asked you for advice, you'd have what to say. We so often see the need for wisdom in people's lives around us. I know some of you are, like, in different times of worship, you're looking at the worship team, and, like, you don't even, you don't, you don't know how to sing on key, but you have so much advice for how Joy should be leading or how the sound man should be doing it, right? Am I the only one that thinks those thoughts sometimes? No, often we see the need for wisdom in other people's lives. Wisdom is something we need to pursue. Um, we spent the entire summer here at Church of Messiah going through the book of Proverbs, the book of wisdom written by Solomon, the man that we're looking at today going through the book and seeing that uh, we, the book of Proverbs is, is all these different, uh, all these pearls of wisdom, and they'll deal with reoccurring issues throughout the book. And so what George and I have done is we divided up the book of Proverbs, and we kind of strung together through, you know, a string through the various pearls of, of the same theme. So for example, in case I'm losing you, we've done a week on what Proverbs say about caring for the marginalized, about how the wise person cares for the broken and the poor. Uh, we looked at what, what wisdom says about how to, how to live our lives um, regarding uh, listening to advice and how if we listen to advice, we, our lives will be so much more healthy and, and right. Not that our health will always be good, but that we're going to make good decisions. We've looked about what wisdom says about our perception of ourselves and how wisdom frees us from, from being people of pride who are either harming others or, or living in such shame as, as, we, as we're broken that way. Wisdom restores that. We've looked at what wisdom uh, speaks into how we can steward our finances well. Not how we become millionaires necessarily, but how we can be faithful stewards of our finances. We've looked at how wisdom, if we, if we live a, a wise life, how it keeps us from the, the harm of sexual morality and how it can lead our sexuality to be something that's life-giving and godly and, and not something we're striving against. Uh, we've looked at how, um, how wisdom can, will transform our words so not just some of our words, but all of our words will bring life. And that if we forsake wisdom regarding our words, that's going to separate even close friends, bring death and destruction. Over and over, wisdom. Proverbs 3, verse 13 through 15 say, Blessed is the one who finds wisdom, and the one who gets understanding. For the gain from her is better than gain from silver, and her profit better than gold. She is more precious than jewels, and nothing you desire can compare with her. Nothing you desire. These words, and we'll look at this later, these words are, are sometimes spoken, nothing you desire can compare, are spoken in the Psalms regarding God. And here, uh, this man, King Solomon, is writing, nothing you desire compares to wisdom. What's that all about? 
as we unpack this, the first thing I want us to take to heart is that my family, let's put this point up, the next point, my family, my friends, my workplace, and myself urgently need me to grow in wisdom. Church, we so often flatter ourselves thinking that we are so wise. People just need to ask us for advice on how to live. But the other people, the parents in the grocery store, the, co- the, the coach for the sports team, or whatever it is, they, they need wisdom. Well, you're probably right that they need more wisdom, but you and I need more wisdom. King Solomon, as we saw in what Nora read, uh, describes himself as, as only a child who doesn't know how to go out or come in. But that's not who King Solomon was. King Solomon, if you read the chapters previous, was already a king of an established kingdom. And he had already put to death the enemies of his father. He had already been, been doing the work of a king. He was not a child. But King Solomon, in God's goodness, was freed from that arrogance that you and I often live with of see, thinking that he had the wisdom he needed. You know, King Solomon somehow knew, even though he was, uh, had so much power. In fact, maybe it was in light of, of the responsibility on his shoulders, he realized that his friends, his family, his country needed him to grow in wisdom. And it's not just because he was king. You and I need wisdom. So how do we get wisdom? The Bible has so much to say about this, and we're not going to be able to unpack all of it, but with the help of John Piper, uh, I used some of his points, not all, and uh, used some he didn't have, but for the most part, this is impacted by uh, some work I did reading through John Piper's teaching on wisdom. And so we're going to go through seven points briefly of how the Scriptures teach us to get wisdom. We need, you and I need wisdom, so let us pay attention to this. So the first point is that we need to begin with the fear of God. The very first week we did on Proverbs, George, our pastor, preached about the fear of God, this reverence for him, uh, an orientation of life that's, that's looking at, toward God for, for his assessment, for his judgment of us, for his approval, um, that's more concerned about leaving God, like that our biggest fear is, is not that we make mistakes, but that we would drift away from God, that our biggest fear is the fear of God. Proverbs 1 verse 7 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. So if we, were, or if we are to become wise, we need to be people who fear God. I've heard, uh, when I was a younger man in a youth group, I heard a youth pastor, and he was only one of many who said this kind of thing. Uh, people today in the modern world don't want to talk, or the postmodern world, don't want to talk about fear. Fear is a negative thing. And so they try to cast the fear of God as just like a, an awe of God. But the fear of God, though it includes the awe of him, also has this element of fear in it. It's not like that you're scared of God, but that you understand the power of God, that he is big and we are small. Of course, it's always coupled with the understanding of the kindness of God. But it's also this thing of, you know what, like my, my big fear in life isn't that I mess up. My big fear in life isn't that I fail. My big fear in life isn't of people. That My big fear in life is, is, is that I that I'd be afraid of, of abandoning God. That, that would be a big, that we, we, we are oriented toward him in, in all that we do. There is an element of fear, and that is the beginning of wisdom. The second thing we need to do if we would gain wisdom is that we would pray for wisdom in faith. James 1 verse 5 says, If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given him. James goes on to say, Let him ask without doubting. That if we, if we ask, but we're not really believing God's going to come through, God's not going to give us the wisdom we ask for. Now, James 1.5 is, is so powerful in that uh, it's illustrating 1 Kings 3 for us so well. 
We see that King Solomon has this task before him of, of caring for his people. And how does King Solomon get wisdom? He simply asks for it. He prays for it. And God comes through for him. And so church, as we pray, as you pray, parents, as you pray for your kids, as you pray for your loved ones, uh, as we pray, as, uh, if you come to the Tuesday meeting and you're, you're interceding for other people, let us be a people who are consistently, consistently seeking God for ourselves and for those around us, for wisdom. As you pray for the election, we can pray that our favorite political party wins or maybe that all our least favorite political parties lose. Or we can also be praying, God, give the leaders of our nation wisdom. We need it. They need it. The next is that we study the scriptures. Psalm 19, it's a psalm that it speaks the first half of, it, of the, the beauty and the wonder of nature and how, how, how nature worships God, how nature declares God's goodness. And, and you can extract from that, that that every human being should see from nature uh, the, the, the majesty of God, that we should be led to worship from nature. But then the psalmist turns her atten- his attention to the Bible and says, that, so he's saying, yes, nature is incredible and speaking of God's goodness and is declaring him. And then he turns to the Bible and starts to unpack how it's the Bible that actually helps people come to know God. It's how, and he goes through a whole bunch of different elements of that. Psalm 19, you can read the whole psalm yourself. But verse 7 says, The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. Even though it should be that we should gain such wisdom from seeing nature and all that, the way that we grow in wisdom isn't just by taking walks in the park, but it's by reading the Bible. And, I, and I've, I've known people over the years who they start to drift away from their devotions as they tend to, there's one gentleman, he, was, he, he, he fell in love with riding his bicycle. Well, that's a great activity to do. And he would tell me about how close he felt to God as he rode his bike, and I believe him. But he had stopped reading his Bible for riding his bicycle out in nature. And it's true that, the, that nature declares God's goodness. But this friend of mine would actually grow in wisdom, which he, for his own sake, for his family's sake, for his workplace's sake, and for the glory of God, he needs to grow in wisdom. He needs to be studying the Bible. And the Bible has so much to say about this. Psalm 119, how can a, verse 9, how can a young man keep his way pure, but by guarding his way according to God's word? We need to be people who know the word. The only way we can guard our way, live our way according to the Bible, the only way we can, as it says in Philippians, hold fast to the word of God, is by people who know the word of God. And so to grow in wisdom, to live life as it was made to be lived, regarding our sexuality, our friendships, our, our workplace, all the stuff, let us study the Bible. The fourth, is that we need to listen to wise instruction. Proverbs 19, verse 20, listen to advice and accept instruction that you may gain wisdom in the future. Uh, a number of us know people who study the Bible, and they, and they do that well, and they, they're asking for wisdom, and yet they isolate themselves from Christian community, and, and they're in a place where maybe even they are in community in a sense, but no one can speak into their life, and they begin to believe some very bizarre things, and begin to just act in very harmful ways. I'm thinking of specific examples I'm not going to get into, but I've seen this, and some of you have seen this. It's not enough for us just to ask for wisdom and just to read the Bible. Part of living that out, if you're reading the Bible, you will see that multiple times throughout it, it says that we're to listen to advice. That ultimately, we need to take all advice in light of Scripture, and we will get advice. You and I get advice. Sometimes advice from our own parents. And you're just like, you know, parents, I know that you love me, but the advice you're giving me is not in line with what the Bible says. 
So it's not that we're supposed to just simply obey all advice we receive, but that we need to be people who are actually able to hear advice. Uh, for more on that, George taught a, a whole sermon from Proverbs this past semester. You can find it online, MessiahChurch.ca, about listening to advice, how to discern what is good advice and is not good advice. But a crucial part of growing in wisdom, as you're someone who is able to, you're not always obeying advice, but you're listening to it. You're someone who people can approach. You know, there, there are some people who, when, when something is wrong in their life, when they need to hear advice, their friends and their family talk a lot amongst themselves because they know that to talk to that person would be very difficult. It's not going to go well. There are other people who are known for taking advice well. They're not always going to obey it, but they're going to be respectful of the advice they receive. And so that person, people give advice to. This is one of those things that we tend to flatter ourselves. We tend to think of ourselves as being so good at listening to advice. But, but surely some of us actually struggle with this because I've, I've, I've been in those conversations as you're discussing, how do we talk to so-and-so? Not all of us are good at this. So let us, let us pray before God honestly and say, God, show me. Show me if I'm one of those people that people can give advice to or if I actually am someone who it's scary to give advice to. We need to be people who can have friends speak into our lives and who can listen, listen to the advice. Number five. This is from Moses in Psalm 90. Moses wrote Psalm 90. It's a beautiful psalm. It's toward the end of his life. Psalm 90 verse 12. So teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Moses is saying, don't simply pray for it, though that's part of it. Don't just read the Bible, though. So much of what Moses wrote is about, the, about listening to the, the ways of God. But among other things, Moses says, if you would gain wisdom, he's saying, think often of your imminent death. Think often of your imminent death. If you and I would gain wisdom, there, there isn't... There, this isn't just a suggestion. This isn't just for the reckless amongst us, for the youth amongst us. Every single one of us needs to be people, if we're going to live life the way it was meant to be lived, who think often of the imminency of death. And as we do that, as we think of our death in light of, of the reality of God and, and of eternity, it helps us to live in wisdom. It's not enough on its own. You can't do this and, and think that you can bypass asking for wisdom or bypass fearing God if you just think about your death. No, as you, as you fear God, as you pray for wisdom with faith, as you study the scriptures every day, as you listen to wise instruction, you also need to be thinking often of your imminent death. Now, before you, before you turn to the next point, so don't turn there yet, Andrew. Um, we're still on number? Yeah, we're good. Um, as I was sitting down with George, we sat, as he often says, at a Starbucks, if you know George. So we're sitting at a Starbucks. It's, those are true stories. We sat at a Starbucks, and we were dividing up the, the various weeks of Proverbs. And so he was going to choose five themes. I'd choose five themes. And I had this idea. George, for the very last week, let me go to 1 Kings 3 as we're going to be spending a whole summer through the book of wisdom, Proverbs, at the moment that Solomon gets his wisdom. And, I, and I'm going to teach them. I'm going to preach, George, that uh, I'm going to look at Solomon asking for wisdom. That's the one thing he asked for. And then I'm going to look at Psalm 27 where his father, King David, says the one thing David asked for. And one thing David asked for in Psalm 27 is that he would dwell in the presence of God. Basically, that he would he'd walk with God. And I was going to contrast those two asks and say what Solomon asked for is something good, but what David asked for is something that's best. And, and basically to show Solomon asked for the wrong thing, David asked for this. And if you know their lives, you'll see that Solomon ends up veering off the path of, of God, but David walks with God to the end of his life, though he makes mistakes along the way. 
And I, I pitched this to George, thinking he would be just as excited as I was. And George was like, nope, nope, nope. He's like, Daniel, okay. I'm like, no, George, this is biblical. He's like, Daniel, if you can make a compelling case for what you're going to preach, I'll let you preach it. But I think you're off on this. So I'm like, George, no problem. So I went, and I was doing my research. I'm reading the Bible. I'm working on putting together this whole thesis for him. And I talked to various older wise men, many of whom are pastors, probably about five people. Different cities I talked to, friends of mine, just saying, hey, I got this idea. And every single one of them, though I expected them to be like, Daniel, that's gold. They're like, Daniel, that's foolishness. Oh, really? I'd talk to them, Daniel, that's foolishness. And we'd chat about it. And uh, what person after person, including George, said to me, and I listened to them, is that, Daniel, you are bringing to this equation uh, a modern view of wisdom. That wisdom is simply knowledge. That wisdom is simply being smart about life. But you are not looking what the Bible says about wisdom. If if you remember the first week on wisdom about the fear of God, that wisdom is living life in light of who God is, and it's 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 walking in His way. It's actually walking with God. In that respect, when David asked to be in God's presence and to live life with Him, and Solomon is asking God for wisdom, if you look at what the Bible teaches about these two things, they're asking for the same thing. And that's why Solomon can say that this wisdom is to be desired above all things. That there's nothing that compares to her. And then a psalmist says that who in Psalm I think it's Psalm 73, 72. Yeah, thanks, Brother Jonathan. That's my brother. Uh, Psalm 72 says um, that there's nothing in heaven or earth that compares. To, like, whom have I in heaven or earth? Nothing, I, nothing that I have compares to you. That's a paraphrase. But Psalm 72 is speaking you, similar words that Proverbs uses, but Proverbs is speaking about wisdom. And Psalm 72 is talking about knowing God, and they're using similar language saying nothing compares to this stuff. Nothing compares to those two things because it's really one thing. It's really one thing. When I talked to my dad about my thesis, he actually said, Daniel, I'm not surprised that you're, that you're saying this because, Daniel, you're someone that since your infancy, you've, you've been passionate about living life with Jesus. You, you will love him, but you're someone that needs to grow in wisdom. And so the fact that you would stand in front of a church and say, what we should be asking for isn't wisdom. Be asking to be passionate about following Jesus. My dad is saying, Daniel, no, grow in wisdom. They actually are one and the same, growing these things together. And and that's partly how you get these pastors who genuinely love the Lord in in one sense, yet then you see them doing horrible things and disgracing the name of God. They, on the one sense, they're very passionate about the stuff of God, but they're not living life in wisdom, and so they're not really walking with them. And so many of the, every one of these scandals would be avoided if these men and women were living in wisdom, walking with God in wisdom. Not only do they need wisdom, you and I need wisdom. Now, Jesus actually speaks into this. We can go there now. Point six. Jesus says in Matthew 12, verse 42, The queen of the south will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And behold, something greater than Solomon is here. And he's speaking of himself. And when he says something greater than Solomon is here, he's not saying, like, so Solomon was of wisdom and, and I'm this other thing that's greater. The word greater is, is often translated into English as, the word they're using is greater, as, as more of. In a sense that like, Jesus is, is, a, is, a, is a greater version of Solomon. He's not just different. He's, 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 he is the, the Solomon Solomon which should have been born to be. He is, he is more of, of the wisdom of Solomon. He's greater wisdom than Solomon. So Jesus isn't saying, you don't need wisdom to say what you need is me. Jesus is saying, you need wisdom, and, and wisdom is found in me. 
And so the sixth point of how we gain true wisdom is that we come to Jesus. Just like the Queen of Sheba traveled so far to come to Solomon to gain wisdom, so you and I, if we were to find true wisdom, need to come to him. You'll see that David, throughout his life, even when he made horrible mistakes, he murdered someone, he committed adultery with his best friend's wife, all this stuff, that he kept on coming to God, coming to God. Psalm 51, he wrote just uh, about a year after that, that sin of adultery and murder. And it's him coming to God. You see, he's always coming to God. And in that, he proved he lived a life of wisdom. Whereas for Solomon, he, uh, he, he began by asking for it, but he didn't continue that, that coming to God. If you and I would be people who live in wisdom regarding our friendships and our workplace and our sexuality and our words and all of that we were made for, we need to be people who come to God. And the only way to God is through Jesus. And then finally, in, in, verse seven, in, in point seven, we need to not only come to Jesus, but then we need to follow Jesus. We don't just come to him and ask him for wisdom. We don't just come to him and ask him for forgiveness for our sins. We then need to live lives that are, that are following him. In, in, uh, in Matthew 7, Jesus famously speaks about the, the parable of the man who builds a house in the sand and the man who builds a house in the rock. A lot of us in Sunday school would have heard this story. The difference between these two men isn't that one heard wisdom and one didn't. Both of them heard wisdom as both of them uh, heard, heard God's teaching. But the one who built his, his house in the sand was the one who he heard God's wisdom. He, he got the wisdom, but then he just went off and did his own thing. He didn't live life according to the wisdom. In a sense, he had like, come to God, but didn't he follow him? Whereas the man who built his house on the rock is a man who not only heard the truth from God, wisdom, but then he lived his life upon it. To be a Christian isn't simply that you believe things about God that are true, because even the demons believe the right things about God, the Bible says. But it's that we're people who are following him. Now, you and I don't do that perfectly. We still make mistakes, so many mistakes, still as followers of God. We don't get to heaven based on how good we've done a job of following Jesus. We, we only get to enter into the, the presence of God in now and for eternity. We only become born again through receiving the gift of life from God that Jesus accomplished for us on the cross. But we live that out as we seek to live our lives, as we try to live our lives, as people following him, tripping down, falling down, but following him. And as we do that, as we seek to cultivate hearts that fear God, as we... Uh, as we pray for wisdom, as we listen to good advice, seeking wisdom, as we, as we implement all the, the points of how we live a life of wisdom, thinking of our death, as we seek wisdom, we seek not only wisdom, we seek not only the gift of wisdom, but we're looking to the giver, Jesus, looking to him to live life with him. And so would you join me right now in praying for this? Heavenly Father, Lord, wisdom isn't simply the icing on the cake of what it means to walk with you. Lord, wisdom is, is the meat of what it means to live life with you. Lord, we began the service today with Psalm 16. In your presence there is fullness of joy. Lord, living life with you, walking with you, is what we need more than anything. An integral part of that is living in wisdom and the fear of you and the love of you following you. Lord, every single one of us as human beings needs to grow in this. Lord, would you help us to be like the Queen of Sheba who spent every expense, used all of her energy, all of herself. She came to Solomon. 
God, we come to something greater than Solomon. We come to you, and we ask you together for wisdom, for the fear of you, for the love of you, that you would help us to live life with you. In Jesus' name, amen.